Business and Bucket fans, episode 15, coming at you off the hills of episode 14, business episode 3 with ex-NFL player, stud entrepreneur, Mr. Stanley Daniels. Definitely check that out, even if you guys are my sports fans, tuning in every week to the sports podcast. Uh, he talks a little shop on sports, his NFL experience and life experiences that led to entrepreneurship. So must recommend everybody check that out. Episode 14, Stanley Daniels. Before we hop into today's content, let's talk Fueled Supplements. The Business and Buckets podcast is proudly sponsored by Fueled Supplements. And if you're an elite athlete, busy mom on the go, or just looking for the perfect product to suit your daily wellness needs, Field Supplements has you guys covered. Choose from their selection of premium sports and wellness formulas backed by over 30 years of market experience. And whether you're trying to run a 4040, lift 400 pounds, or even just live life for another 40 years, Field Supplements has a variety of products that align exactly to your specific goals. Right now, I know that I'm trying to uh, um, lose a couple pounds. I'm going to Hawaii, going to Vegas. I'm using their comeback, uh, pre-workout laced up. Uh, also have uh, some daily mitovins and field greens. Give me a little bit of everything I need to be successful. Uh, head to fieldsupplements.com and use my promotion code buckets for 20% off. You get 20% off their whole uh, product line besides um, the protein. So highly re- recommend checking it out. I've said this many times, guys, but if you're buying supplements already, support small local business. These guys are kicking ass, have great products. People helping people, that's what it's all about. So let's talk NFL free agency. I know it's March Madness. I want to talk a lot about March Madness. That's the headliner of this show. Uh, But there are some things that have happened in free agency. Last week, we had talked week one of free agency where a lot of big dominoes had moved. A lot of big dominoes. And if you're a Steelers fan, you saw a lot of dominoes leave your hand. Uh, But there was some big things in week two that I wanted to touch on. The first one, AJ Green to the Cardinals. When I first saw this, I was like, oh, you know, it's another receiver there that's probably past his prime. They're overpaying for him. Because a lot of the time in free agency, you're paying for past play and hoping that it translates. And majority of the time, it doesn't. But with A.J. Green, the freak athleticism, I've seen him play the Steelers twice every year. He was pretty much the only one doing anything, Dalton throwing it up his way. If this guy does have any time left, having him, DeAndre Hopkins, having... I think two or three other speedster receivers that they have. Um, Kyler Murray and that offense definitely can be potent. The odds of that happening, I would say, are under 40%, but the Cardinals feel confident in them. They signed them for a reason because it wasn't you know, the most discounted deal. I believe it was around $9 million for the year. But if this guy could make big-time jump balls, him and Hopkins on one uh, each side is going to be nasty. And you got the speedsters, Isabella, Christian Kirk, and so on and so forth. A move I really liked week two was Hassan Reddick to the Panthers. I was surprised they didn't keep Hassan Reddick. I think the Panthers is a perfect fit for hit for them. You know, Luke Keekley not playing anymore. They've been looking to replace him. Uh, Thomas Davis and some other guys getting a little older, leaving the team. So Hassan Reddick, awesome move to Matt Rule and the Panthers. Excited to see what, what translates there. And my guy, Juju Smith-Schuster, Uh, Staying with the Steelers, turning down better offers from the Ravens, more money, and the Chiefs, which is, you know, an automatic Super Bowl contender this year, proves that he was loyal to the Steelers and really wanted to stay. I think a lot of this had to do with uh, Big Ben pushing to, to keep him. And the idea of the lower salary cap with COVID, 
receivers aren't getting as much money as I think they they could and and are desiring. Uh, so he could let the market reset and get paid elsewhere next year for a lot larger salary. Maybe with this loyalty, if he plays well, the Steelers will re-sign him. I wouldn't mind that. The guy's physical. He does things in the trenches. Uh, he doesn't demand the ball. And I think he's a great Steeler receiver. And, you know, keeping him and Deontay Johnson together are pretty lethal, in my opinion. As long as Deontay can continually catch the ball and not have as many drops. Uh, but love that move. Was super excited about that. I had faith that he would potentially stay. With all the pieces moving, I just didn't think they could make that happen. So... Thank you, Juju. Welcome back to Pittsburgh. We're excited to have you. I was wearing a shirt that I bought in my first Pittsburgh Steelers game two years ago. Was the game that we had played the Ravens. Lot or not the Ravens, the Bengals. A lot of the games had been dirty. They'd been taking out A B, Le'Veon Bell's knees. And he had laid out Drake Kirkpatrick on a kind of a um crack crackback block. And he had looked over him and started flexing. So I have a shirt that looks over him and is flexing. And on the back, it says, Karma's a bitch. Uh, it's, a, it's an awesome shirt. But I was wearing it that day that that came out. So that was a ironic thing. And I got a Juju jersey in my closet. So excited that it's not another lost soldier like Le'Veon Bell and my AB jerseys that I have. I know the Le'Veon Bell jersey I had, I gave it away for a white elephant gift. Um, they ended up taking it. It was cool, but it was a lot of funny. I was like, who knows? He might end up on your team. You know, come to find out the guy can barely even play anymore. Uh, supposedly, he can't even, you know, get playing time on the Chiefs. So, um, you know, didn't expect that, but uh, fun nonetheless. Uh, how about the Giants trying to make moves in that shitty dumpster fire of a division? Overpaying in free agency usually isn't the recipe for success. But I really do like the signing of Galladay. Lots of money long term. Uh, but I think he's the real deal. They also had signed Adoree Jackson to quite a large contract, uh, potentially overpaid for him and Leonard Williams on the defensive line. But they're getting playmakers, uh, especially on the defense. Our secondary has quite a few big names. Uh, it's all got to come together, though, because if this doesn't work out, they're throwing a lot of money away and it's not really translating and they still have the draft. Um, you would assume that they're going to perform better in that division. The Cowboys should ex be expected to play well. Lots of questions with the Eagles and Washington football team. Hopefully they change that name. Um, but hey, hey, at least the Giants are trying. I just don't know if it's necessarily the right way. One of the big headlines that I hate to see from a guy that has such a good you know, legacy, such a good rep uh, repertoire, um, Deshaun Watson, 16 cases now um, against him from different women. Really, the idea is that he's hiring women off Instagram, doing massages, having them do things like oral sex, playing with him, yada, yada, yada. I am not an expert on this. You know, I don't want to speak into it too much, but it's a big story. And the reason I want to talk about it is what does it mean for football? Is he going to play? Can the Texans now keep him? Because this has been, you know, following him. Are other teams still interested? Because with the idea of Deshaun Watson becoming a free agent, Every single team and their mother, well, forcing a trade, want, wants to have a shot at Deshaun Watson. I thought the Patriots would try to make a move at him. Obviously, the Brown or the Bears, other teams that have been searching for quarterbacks are going to want this guy. So are they still going to pursue him? When my biggest story and the way I've learned is where there's smoke, there's fire. This isn't one thing. This isn't two. This is 16 different cases. They all came at once. One of the things that we have to put into perspective is professional athletes get cases like this happen all the time. One of the lawyers had mentioned that one of these unknown people had asked for $30,000 and they won't say anything. So it could be a money bribe. 
Who knows? But 16 of them in three different cities seems a lot more suspicious. Um, was he getting massages from them? Probably. Were they hot Instagram models? Probably, right? I'm 28 years old. It's like porn on Instagram anymore. It's kind of disgusting. Um, you know, it's nice. I'm a guy. I love women. Uh, but I could, I just, it affects my attitude when all I'm doing is scrolling and looking at ass titties and those types of things. He's a young man. He's, he's making millions of dollars. He's flying these beautiful women out. Um, you know, is it consensual, consensual? Those are the type of things. Can this be something that scars Deshaun and gets him out of the NFL? Possibly. Um, this isn't going to be solved for a long time though. I expect him to play. Look at the things Antonio Brown has done. He's able to play. Maybe he gets suspended. I don't know. And I still believe that he goes away from the Texans and a team like the Bears are willing to take a risk on him if they if if they can make that trade happen. Um, so yes, I do believe he'll play football. I don't. I can't really speak. You know, I'm not educated in this situation to be able to say, hey, this these are crimes. This is what's happening. I'm not surprised though. I'm sure lots of people are doing it. Um, maybe the Texans that hired someone to say something. You know, that's some pretty deep thought. Um, but to have 16 different cases all of a sudden, you know, someone's communicating that as well. It's not like a girl in Atlanta filed and then a girl in this other city, Houston had filed. And all of a sudden there are 16 cases. It was one after another. So something had happened that had spurred all these women to do it at the same time. Uh, you know, it could be to bring down his repetition. Uh, you can't assume things where there's smoke, there's fire. So something's going on, but what's the outcome of this? Um, going to be. It's just, it's a dark, hazy cloud over Deshaun Watson and the Texans right now. Hate to see it. Uh, seems like he's been such a good man, uh, such a good repetition, or not repetition, repertoire. So uh, we'll, we'll see what happens here, but I do assume that he will play football, and hopefully if he does, it's not on the Houston Texans. What the hell is the Las Vegas Raiders doing? I still don't understand. Getting rid of some of the big-time players that they've had. You know, John Gruden had this massive contract. He got Mike Mayock, Mayock to GM. And they're really trying to build this contender of a team. And then they're signing the likes of Yannick Ngakwe and John Brown. John Brown hasn't been healthy. I like him. He's got speed. Um, I just don't know if that really makes sense. Also, Ngakwe has had, like, two or three different teams had an opportunity to sign him, and they didn't. So that shows me that there's something left to be desired there, and the Raiders are just going to swoop in on him. So I think this is like high-risk, high-reward plays here. Um, but I don't know if the Raiders are really in high-risk, high-reward positioning. Um, so, yeah, just definitely head-scratcher what the hell Gruden and Mayock's doing. I'm interested and intrigued to see what they do in the draft because I do assume moves will be made. And how about Trent Williams? Six years, $138 million. A 32-year-old man, not a 25, 26, 27, getting a six-year bajillion-dollar contract. While injuries have cost him time in each of his past five active seasons, you know, he should still have years ahead as one of the best offensive linemen, but six years, it's a lot of money. But Kyle Shanahan's offense runs through the run game, runs through the offensive line. Obviously, he's seen what Trent Williams could provide and wanted to keep him there. Um, we all know about how the Washington football team and totally fucked up kind of his career. So, you know, he's had some time not getting beat up, but through injuries with a high injury risk, giving that big of a contract is usually risky. Again, you typically don't win through big free agency signings, but usually guys like Trent Williams aren't a free agent. So, um, you know, that's a definitely probably around a B grade for me. Uh, but their offense is going to live and die by him and that offensive line the next couple of years. So they must be going in more of like a, a win now mode. Other than that, it's fight time. We're talking fights. We have another fight night. I love every single Saturday, some sort of fights. 
again, there's been more COVID cancellations. There's been some cards, uh, fights moved off of cards that have made the past couple lackluster. Um, Volkanovsky also tested positive, so his fight over Ortega is called off. Uh, probably pushed back. I'm not sure. Super bummed about that as I thought that was going to be an awesome fight. And the idea of Ortega winning a rematch with Holloway would be very desired in my opinion. As, you know, no no doubt, you know, not to down and dog on Volkanovski, but I do think Max Holloway deserves to be the champion. I did. I do think he won that last fight. So I would like to see him get another opportunity to be the champion as he really has earned it. Uh, Kat Zingano coming back. I always thought Kat was kind of a hot woman for a UFC fighter. Uh, but anyway, she's coming to fight back at Bellator. Um, you know, it's a big surprise that she's coming back. So that was a nice headline. Uh, Khabib officially retiring. Um, I don't think that's official. I mean, potentially, if you look at his religion and the things, it probably is. Uh, but I know a lot of fighters that have retired and came back, a.k.a. Uh, uh, GSP. So... It's not over till it's over, but most likely he's not going to be fighting in the next couple of years unless there's really something that pulls him away. Michael Chandler versus Oliveira announced for the title as Dustin Poirier would rather focus his efforts on Conor McGregor. And this has spurred up a lot of controversy to people like, Dustin, you've been bitching about this title, the interim title. You want the real title. You finally have the opportunity. You don't do it. But let's think of this. If I'm a fighter like Dustin, who's been an underdog my whole time, I finally fought to this place, got a nice payday, beat McGregor in the second round, uh, didn't take too much damage, and now have an opportunity to have a rematch that's probably even more anticipated because they've split their fights and Connor couldn't handle the calf kicks. How's he going to prepare for the calf kicks? This next fight's really intriguing and I think is a, a risky one for Poirier. But what's involved? A shit ton of money. What do fighters not make a lot of for all the beatings and all the training they get is a shit ton of money. So I think Connor or Dustin probably thinks he, he could beat Chandler and Oliveira. This is the last fight. Get a big payday to have that title. He loses here, though. Where does he fall in the mix? That's the risk. So I think he's taking money over the title at this point, which, hey, if I was in that position and I could be guaranteed, you know, over a million something dollars for this opportunity, I'll probably put that into consideration. So I don't really hold this fault to him, but he better fucking win that fight. I tell you what, you better win that fight. And that fight's not even official yet. I mean, Connor got, you know, TKO'd, beat, beaten up. When is he going to be mentally prepared to fight again? This might not be until late this year. Uh, so also, you know, he's not going to be very active. I would have liked to see Dustin fight for the title and still put Connor out. Why, why can't he fight, fight Connor later on? I don't know if Dustin's prepared to fight again soon. Maybe that's the case, but I would have liked him seen him fight for the title, which probably would have been Charles Oliveira, beat Charles Oliveira and fight Connor. But maybe he's ducking Oliveira or Chandler as well. Maybe he doesn't like their fighting styles. Oliveira's nasty all over, and Chandler made quite an impact in his first UFC fight, so that might have something to do with it. I don't think Dustin's a guy to duck a fight. But, hey, I think it really comes down to money over the title. Um, lots of complaints about the slippery, slippery octagon at the UFC Apex in Las Vegas, where majority of the fights have been doing, uh, been held outside of Fight Island in Abu Dhabi. Uh, they are going to have a full fight card um, in Jacksonville. I'm sure they'll start doing some more as COVID starts loosening up a little bit. Um, I haven't talked about this previously, but it just keeps getting brought up which is interesting. It's like, okay, well, if there's so much bitching about this, it's already a small octagon, which can be a disadvantage for some fighters. Why aren't we doing something about this? Again, it's like the gloves. Like, For as much as the UFC's grown and how they've performed, get this shit figured out, man. Um, 
I think it's unacceptable. I've seen a lot of the slipping. Please just get it handled. If you could have other octagons that aren't slippy, slippery, I'm sure you know the fix. Just fucking fix it. All right. So last week's fight night recap on Saturday. Starting in the prelims, good fight. We had Trevin Giles, unanimous decision over Roman Dolidzi, which puts Giles with three wins in a row. He's moving his way back up with the wins. I've liked this guy as a young prospect. Uh, you know, he has wins over Ryan Spann and James Krause, who are pretty big names right now. James Krause in for Coach of the Year. Uh, Khabib also I've seen as well. Um, but hey, it's good to see him back on track. And Dolidzi, it's his first professional loss, so it's not like this was a chump of a fighter. So unanimous decision to keep the momentum going for Giles. I'm sure we'll talk and hear his name more in the future. Uh, Macy Chiasin, unanimous decision over Marion Renault. Um, you know, almost took Marion in this fight as Macy just hasn't really had a big time fight yet. Um, but a ton of volume for Chiasin in this fight really was scrappy and active. And another top 15 fight I'm sure will be in store. The updated rankings has her moving up to Marion's spot at nine. And because of this bantamweight division, uh, Marion Renault is still ranked 12, even though she's like 43 years old, four fight losing streak and probably be cut from the UFC. So that just shows you a little bit about the women's division right now. Uh, but props to Macy. I'm excited to see where she could land as she could really fight anybody as the only one she's fought in the top 15 is Lena Landsberg, who she just leapfrog in the 10th spot. Um, yeah, so Renew hasn't won since February 2018. Um, so yeah, I would assume that she's done. I believe I saw an article that she's a oldest active fighter on the UFC roster now that they've made some cuts with like UL Romero's and, and those types of names. Um, Overeem, those guys. Uh, pretty crazy to see a woman at that age still fighting. Moving into the main card, Taya Tuavasa with the first round knockout of Harry Hunsucker. Man, Tuavasa came out vicious. This is the Tuavasa that we've all come to know with the power, the excitement, throwing bombs. Reminds me a little bit of a young JDS. Um, Ty getting the back to really where he was before some of these losses, maybe another top 15s in store looking at the rankings. I don't think he moved into them. He's still outside the top 15, uh, but huge win for him. He got a shoey in, uh, it was fun to see him get back in there. And, uh, I, I assume we'll, we'll, we'll hear a lot more of Mr. Ty Tuavasa in the future. Surprising bantamweight fight. I've actually seen Adrian Yanez in the Contender Series. Totally forgot about him. When you look at names and photos on the website, you can't always remember. You see him fighting. They start talking about some of his fights. Like, oh, yeah, I remember him doing exactly these things. Cool. Let's let's keep watching him. Well, Adrian Yanez with the third-round knockout over Gustavo Lopez. Holy shit, man. Is Yanez' hands no joke? It reminds me a little bit of Cody Garbrandt's hands with the power and speed that he has. And I expect him to move up the bantamweight rankings pretty quickly. Uh, the bantamweight's a stacked class. You could go down to damn near 30 in the rankings, and there's pretty good uh, killers within there. Um, but, you know, another contender series product doing their way. Ever since the contender series has uh, happened, there's been a lot, of, uh, a lot of good prospects into the UFC that have made moves and splashes. And uh, he's only 27 years old, so excited to see what happens with him. I doubt he'll get a top 15 fight, but I think he's a guy that made a, uh, some noise and will we'll be popping up the rankings and getting some bigger name fights as he'll, he'll be a draw. And then Max Griffin with the um, Gillespie fight getting out. Uh, first round knockout over Song Kanan. Uh, the coolest part of that for me was Max was really emotional when he found out he was actually going to be on the main card, which, you know, more draw, more, more power, more money opportunities. He made the best of it with the knockout. 
Uh, that gives Max a two-fight win streak. He's kind of had a career that's been very up and down. So it's great to see Max Griffin with the win here. Awesome knockout. Uh, hopefully he can continue to stay on a hot streak. And then we go to the uh, to the main event of the evening. Derek Brunson, unanimous decision over Kevin Holland. If you were to give me a game plan, it's like, okay, I'm Brunson's coach. This is exactly how we're going to beat Kevin Holland. It's exactly what we had, we had saw. I mean, this was exactly X's and O's, wrestle the shit out of Kevin Holland, make it happen. And I wasn't as big as the Kevin Holland hype train, you know, wasn't as big on him as the hype train was in the last fight. I had actually picked Jacare Souza to beat him. Jacare did look pretty good, and then he was throwing those nasty elbows from the bottom and just scrapping him up. So I figured this kid just has like that unorthodoxness awe factor that would get him through Brunson at an older age. Definitely wasn't the case. I'm glad I didn't put any money on it. They never really gave he never really gave Holland a chance on the feet. Um, just really just took him down and wrestled him the whole match. I'm assuming Holland will stay in the top 15. Let's see if they have this. He didn't move. He's still number 10. Uh, Derek Brunson moving up three spots to number four, which makes things interesting. Um, I like Brunson's call out to Paula Costa. He pulled out because um, he was sick against Whitaker. I don't think he'll have a fight for a while. That would be good for Brunson as pretty much everyone in the division's pretty, sh pretty taken as of now. So he's going to have to let the division shake up. So interesting to see how that play out. Um, he won't take a low ranked fighter at this point. I'm sure he's 37 years old, trying to prove himself. Um, Whitaker has a fight. I don't think Cannoneer does. Maybe that would be a potential fight, but damn near everyone else in the division does. So I, I assume we will have to wait a little bit and he'll let that division shake itself out. But let's move on to this week's fight card. We got UFC 260. So UFC 260, we got some good matchups going on early. We got Hannah Goldie, 28 years old, versus Jessica Penne, 38 years old. Goldie 5-1 thus far in the UFC. Penne on a three-fight losing streak. She also had a four-year suspension, man. Second USADA suspension, which is brutal. It was a two-year suspension, but got reduced down to 20 months for good behavior. I'm assuming something of that nature. But where she stands, 38 years old, her career is really on the line. I mean, she's fought the likes of a lot of good fighters in her career uh, and has a pretty good career, but two USADA suspensions. I mean, imagine if TJ got another suspension. I mean, that's just a big cloud over you. Um, she has the potential. I really went back and forth on who I wanted to pick on this fight. Hannah Goldie just really hasn't fought anybody yet. I haven't seen her fight, so it's hard for me to pick. Um, and I'm sure Penne knows that her legacy and career is on the line, so she's going to come out with everything she has. So I'm going to take Jessica in this fight, uh, but I think this is a good fight in the women's uh, division to be able to start this card off right. Next, we got the Sugar Show, Sean O'Malley versus Thomas Almeida. The Sugar Show is back, baby. Uh, first fight back from that uh, calf leg nerve kick issue uh, that everybody's clowning him. He's saying that he's undefeated, even though that's a technical loss. Uh, but he was beating the shit out of Marlon Vera. I would assume that he will uh, handle Thomas Almeida somewhat similarly. Hopefully he doesn't have the kick issue, even though maybe Thomas Almeida does look to attack that early. Almeida currently on a three-fight loss streak. You know, he loses again. Uh, this is going to be tough on his UFC career. I don't know where he goes from here. Almeida's only 29 years old, though. He seems like a vet. He's fought a lot of guys, but he started early. Uh, he's lost to a lot of bigger names and opponents during his career. Um, I, I think Sean's going to handle him probably in the second round. 
uh, the first round ideally. I'll probably bet first, second, third, majority of the money on the second round. Uh, but this will be a good fight. See the Sugar Show back in action. See if he could climb into the top 15 of the bantamweight rankings with his fellow colleague and training teammate, Kyle Matrix Phillips. Will be uh, an interesting fight to see all the things that he's got to offer, though. And then we have Tyron Woodley versus Vicente Luque. Tyron's 38. Vicente is 29. Man, Woodley at one point in time was almost Usman level like that guy for a while. Uh, he has a three-fight loss streak to the likes of um, Darren Till. No, excuse me. Um, I didn't write these down. They were all big names, though. So th three-fight loss streak to... Let's pull it up. Colby Covington, Gilbert Burns, and Kamara Usman. So the killers of the division. So it's not like he's lost to Joe Blows. I would have never expected him to uh, have a three-fight loss streak, though, after the way he was performing. Since then, though, um, you know, he's been acting. He's been in movies. He's been doing commercials, lots of monster energy. He did the Rock Strongman competition and was terrible at it, by the way. I thought representing the UFC poorly. His conditioning just didn't look to be on point, even though he is fucking muscular as shit. Um, and he's been rapping. Uh, he's beat the likes of Wonder Boy, Darren Till, and Damian Maya, so he's beat good names while he was uh, the title holder. Um, Luke, though, is just, he's hitting his stretch at the right time. He has lost to Wonder Boy, but is on a two fight win streak with either a TKO or knockout fashion. Um, I think this is going to be a fun fight. It's hard for me to pick this. I want to say Woodley's just washed and done because he's got so much going on. I don't think he's focused. I've seen him training with Masvidal, though, and really putting in his uh, his right foot forward. So this might be a fight that I lose, but I'm sick of fucking betting on Woodley and losing. I'm switching ships. I'm going with Vicente Luque in a close fight here, uh, but I want to be surprised if Woodley wins this one. It's going to be an awesome fight, aggressive fight. Woodley come in with his strong right hand and do some damage. And then the main event, man. What a main event this is going to be. We got Francis Ngannou, Stipe Miocic rematch. Um, I think this has to be a different fight than last time if Stipe wants to win again. He's got to take less damage. He's got to be able to live off the counter, wrestle Ngannou like DC and other people have shown to do. And he could obviously win on his feet, but don't take all that unnecessary damage. They say the horsepower or power behind Ngannou's uh, punch is like a Ford Focus hitting you at full speed. So I've seen him take the damage. Can he handle it? Absolutely. Is it necessary? Absolutely not. And also, what does this fight mean? The winner of this fight gets John Bones Jones entering the heavyweight to try to be champ champ. And that's huge. So for me, do I want to see John Jones and Francis Ngannou? Not really. Ngannou has the power that could end anyone, but John is going to take him down to the mat, ground and pound him, and do what he knows Ngannou's weaknesses are. And Ngannou's just not going to have enough time to prepare for that. Just like he hasn't had enough time to prepare for Stipe. He is a relatively green MMA fighter, so I just don't think he's going to be able to perfect the takedown defense, manage the groundwork in jiu-jitsu enough to have the likes of some of the best in the sport. Um, Stipe versus John Jones. Both can handle damage. Both can strike. Both are very... Uh, capable all around. Uh, John Jones has some of the advantages uh, potentially with speed and with um, uh, the unorthodoxness that I don't think Stipe's fought a guy like that who's been at a lot lower frame. And if you look at John Jones on social media, this guy is fucking bulking up. I mean, his brother's Chandler Jones. I'm sure he's got the right trainers. He looks massive. Um, 
this is going to be the fight that I want to see. So I'm definitely rooting for Stipe. But also, Stipe is the man. He's a firefighter. He's from Cleveland. He's super blue collar. I don't know why he's still considered the underdog in this fight. Everyone just wants to see this massive behemoth of a man in Ganu be a title contender, kind of like Brock Lesnar was. Um, but I'm going to take Stipe on this. I really want to see him versus John Jones, and I want him to get the credit on his name where it's due. And a win over Nganu will definitely do that. But I think Stipe and his coaches know he has to switch up the game plans from the last fight because one of those powerful punches can end you and fucking take your soul out of your body. Coming up, we have a couple-week break, and then it's UFC on ABC2, Darren Till versus uh, Martin Vittori which is going to be an awesome card, awesome uh, awesome main event. Um, Hunter Azure is fighting that card. Montana love there. Got to give my Montana and Wyoming guys some love. Um, I'm also wearing the Rise Up Montana shirt today. This kid was a four-time state champion during my high school uh, career and wrestled a couple of my, my teammates that were very good wrestlers themselves. Uh, this guy is the fucking man. He's built really well he's got the power he's got the speed i expect him to do big things um i believe he's coming off a loss but either way he's got to win uh, he's i believe he's one and one since he's been in the ufc i excited to see him move up the ranks and uh, he gets to do it on abc which is an awesome thing i'm excited for the ufc to get back two week break and then we have a bunch of consecutive saturdays i'll be in phoenix for this fight i'll definitely be watching that i'm going to a sun's game that night as well uh but uh, good fights coming up tuning into that Back on ABC as the UFC continues to grow. So fix the Apex Octagon. And before we talk March Madness, let's talk a little NBA. Lots of things going on in the Professional Basketball Association. LeBron James, high ankle sprain. They're saying he's going to be out for weeks. With AD unsure of when he's going to come back, I don't know how they're going to be able to live without those two. Um, yeah, uh, it's going to be interesting to see how far they fall. I don't think they'll fall completely out. I'm sure AD will come back, then LeBron will come back. Uh, but that's brutal for the Lakers' championship hopes as their team is really built to do things. And I'll be interested to see what they do in the trade deadline, knowing that those guys will be out for some time. Speaking of trade deadline, it's a trade deadline? Yeah, this Thursday we have the tra NBA trade, de trade deadline, which we'll talk a lot during this uh, NBA segment. A lot of teams are in that moment of like, where are we standing? Where's our momentum? What kind of things do we need to do? Can we win now? Do we want to put a winning now team together? Or do we just want to have a fire sale? Um, LaMelo, another loss. Hate to see injuries. Broke his wrist or fractured his wrist. Uh, supposedly, he could potentially come back this year, but I would assume he's going to be out for the year, play it safe with him. Uh, the Hornets are in the playoff picture, so maybe he does come back. Uh, but another tough loss for the Hornets, but they have tons of guard depth with Devontae Graham and Malik Monk. And how about the MVP race, man? Wide open, LBJ's hurt, uh, Joel Embed has been hurt. Who's going to be the guy? Well, I think Jokic's been in the conversation since day one. He continually triple doubles, so he's got to be one of the front runners. I think Dame Dalla, you got to put Dame Dalla in there. And my guy, the Stifle Tower, Rudy Gobert, I mean, had nine blocks the other night against the Bulls. Like, literally is the heart and soul of this team, offensively and defensively. Uh, I think this guy needs to get more love. You got to put the Stifle Tower in there. But I think it's Jokic and Dalla up there. But it's really anybody's race at this point, which makes it a lot of fun. And how about the Hawks? You pull up the NBA. I pulled up the standings and didn't even like realize that I had to like, double check. Like, oh, shit. The Hawks are currently in the fourth spot in the East. We've talked about this for weeks now, but the East is so crazy. At the fourth spot, you have the Hawks at 22 and 21. 
And at the eight, 11th spot, the Raptors are 17 and 26. So there's not a lot of separation between 4 and damn near 11, especially 4 and 10. So teams could shift up a lot uh, very quickly, and I'm sure a lot of these teams are going to be you know, deciding what they want to do through the trade deadline. But the Hawks taking some advantage, and it's really been turning points for some teams in the East. Miami's still sitting at five, but they're on a, a, a cold streak. The Pacers are sitting at 10. But with the team they have, they don't expect to be a playing team, right? They expect to be a mid-seed in the East. And then the Celtics sitting in the eighth spot, which is just disgusting at 21-22. They're under 500 with that talent. Something's got to give. I'm interested to see what they, the, the future holds for them. But let's talk last, last week's action. We start on Tuesday. I had recorded on Tuesday like I'm supposed to every week because the Jazz were on TNT. TNT doubleheader. Uh, the Jazz did defeat the Celtics, which was good because they needed to get back on track. They haven't looked like the team they did that has earned the number one seed overall in the NBA and in the West. Still didn't quite look like it that game. Uh, but hey, they, they got the victory. And then the second half game, uh, the Blazers came back from being double digits down late. And Dame Dalla, he took over. And I mean took over. This man had 50 points, 6 rebounds, 10 assists as they beat the Pelicans. And you could just sense it around the 7, 8-minute mark in the 4th. They were starting to get momentum. And you could just see Dame with his killer eyes going to gauge. And I was like, man, this would be crazy if they came back. Because I was about to tune out. And they fucking came back. Dame Dalla just does it. He puts his team on his back. Holy shit, was it impressive to watch. And again, I think he's got to be in the MVP race. Wednesday, the Nets beat the Pacers without Kyrie. Harden had 40 points, 10 rebounds, 15 assists, nice triple dub. Sabonis triple dubbing as well, 18 points, 11 rebounds, 11 assists. Supposedly, him and Brogdon are on the trade red, red, uh, radar. I mean, you're sitting at 10 in the East, in the East, right? If you're 19 and 23 in the West, you're down with the Pelicans at like 12, 13. I, I just don't understand, you know, what the hell does this team do? They have a solid team. They built around them. Brogdon's been doing well. Do you trade? Do you start over? This is definitely a crossroads for that team. Um, but tough loss against the Nets with solely basically James Harden. The Pacers are in the 10 spot, two games back of the eight. And I'm sure they'll make it in the play-in regardless what happens. But obviously this team isn't going to get it done. So, you know, like I said, do you scrap it all? It reminds me a lot of my Utah Jazz when we had Gordon Hayward. We were a solid team, usually a four, five, or six seed. Uh, you know, try to make small incremental moves to make a difference. They usually did a couple games, but we could never get over that 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 hump. And in the NBA, to get over that hump, you have to have an amazing squad. So the Pacers, they've been in this pretty similar team the past few years. What do you do? They'll probably just scrap it all, to be honest. And if not scrap it all. They'll get rid of some names and try to make adjustments because I think they realize this team's just not going to get it done. Obviously, the Oladipo injury didn't help, but tough place for the Pacers. Interesting to see what happens. Uh, on Wednesday, the Bucks also beat the 76ers as Ben Simmons had a triple-double, uh, but Giannis had 32 points, 15 rebounds, and the Cavs beat the Celtics. Man, they're just falling to an all-time low, losing to the Cavs. Uh, no Kemba, but still very bad loss. Sexland doing work in Cleveland, combining for four, or 54 points, as well as the Grizzlies upsetting the Heat. Again, Heat falling down, not looking great. 
Uh, the Nuggets beat the Hornets as Michael Porter Jr. just popped off 28 points, 13 rebounds. That's the Michael Porter Jr. that the team was expecting and, you know, expecting to help them make a move in the Western Conference as they were a Western Conference Finals team last year. Uh, so, yeah, huge game for him. Uh, the Mavs handled the Clipper that night, the Clippers that night. Luka Doncic with a cool 42 points, 6 rebounds, 9 assists. Man, this young man just putting the team on his back. They're currently at 22 and 19 in the eighth spot, right there with the seven spot Spurs. Uh, but hey, they're making moves. They were in like the 9-10, so he he's obviously just putting the team on his back. They got Porzingis back in the lineup pretty habitually. He does take some back-to-backs off, but good to see the Mavs making moves. And Thursday, the Jazz just dropping an ugly game to the Wizards, even though Donovan had 42 points and Joe Ingles, Jingling Joe baby, had 36 points. This guy is the hottest shooter in the league, and you would never know of it. When I think of Joe Ingles, I think a white man can't jump. Having the guy on the team in my pickup game, I could probably go to LA Fitness with Joe Ingles right now and say, hey, I want this guy on my team, and everybody be like, cool, I don't want him on my team. He's balding, super white dude, just looks awkward. And they call slow-mo Joe because he just plays in his old, like, old-school slow way. But damn, is this guy hot. He's shooting 50% from three this year. That is insane. He shot 41-42% in a season, but 50% at this point, this guy is just doing crazy things. If you see Joe Ingles putting up 36 points, you know he's hot. Uh, but they lost. <laughs> Westbrook triple-doubled with 35-15 and 13, and Bradley Bill doing usual things, putting up 43 points. Tough loss for the Jazz. Where do they go from here? It's going to be interesting. They got to get that momentum back. Luckily for them, the Lakers have injuries, but the Suns are creeping and the Clippers are right there as well. Um, the Timberwolves, same night, with their team healthy, picking up a quality win over the Suns. Anthony Edwards continuing to break out like Dwayne Wade told us he would. I wasn't a believer, but I'm starting to believe. I mean, the man put up 42 points, and Cat being back healthy, that's huge for me because I drafted him in one of my fantasy leagues. I had a late-round pick. I didn't know what else to do. I panicked, ran out of time, and drafted Cat. He got hurt, has barely played, really fucked me over. Thank God my team is continuing to play pretty well. But Cat putting up lines like this, 41 points, 10 rebounds, 8 assists is definitely helping my squad. Uh, Devin Booker with 35 points in the loss. Tough loss for them. And then the Blazers beating the Pelicans as Dame Dalla. Lillard staying hot with 36 points. And then the Lakers taking down the Hornets with LeBron James, 37 points. LaMelo had 26. Last time we'll be able to talk about them for a while. Sad day as they're both out with injury. And then moving towards the weekend on Friday... The Jazz squeaked by a healthy Raptors squad. Donovan with 31 points and Siakam with 27. You know, at this point, March Madness was in full bore. I wasn't watching a lot of NBA. Uh, recapping this was a nice insight for me. I, there were some games that I had missed and not paid attention to. And then the Kings take down a healthy Celtics squad. Tough loss for the Celtics again. Uh, Rashawn Holmes, De'Aaron Fox, and Buddy Hill all going for over 20 points. And then the Heat continue to skid as they drop one of the Pacers with T.J. McConnell leading the Pacers with 16 points and 15 assists. That's right, T.J. McConnell, ladies and gentlemen, doing it for the Pacers. Love to see him do well. Uh, the Magic beat the Nets that night, even though Kyrie had 43 points. Aaron Gordon and Evan Fournier, both with 30 points. And Vooch with 22, 14, and 8. Hey, you know, the, the Magic, pretty solid squad. Gordon requested a trade. Evan Fournier, potential trade as well, package deal. 
They might have just been putting them in the limelight like, hey, go get buckets. Go get a, a trade. Make a trade happen. The Warriors beat the Grizzlies as Andrew Wiggins taken off 40 points. And the Blazers stayed hot and beat the Mavs. Luka with 38, 9, and 9, just a little short of a triple-double. But Lillard and CJ McCollum over 30 points. I'm sure CJ or Dame loves having his fellow guard man, CJ McCollum, back in the lineup, putting up points like that. Alleviates that a little bit for him. Could help with his MVP push as well. And then Saturday, the Bucks beat the Spurs as Lonnie Walker just randomly goes off for 31 points. You know, this was a guy they drafted and sought, were really highly sought after uh, a few years back. Really hasn't done a lot since he's been in the league, but hey, maybe this is uh, a, a new beginning. I do know that they had, I think, Derek White and Patty Mills out, so they needed someone to get buckets. But hey, 31 for Lonnie Walker. Way to go, Lonnie. Way to go. And then on Sunday, the Pacers beating the Heat again with seven Pacers players in double digit. What a team effort they had. Bam and Jimmy both over 20. But the Heat slumping, Harrow not looking as good, Duncan Robbins not shooting as well. There's rumors they might trade for Lowry. They're in the crossroads as well. What the hell do they do? If I'm the Heat, you know, where's Bubble Hero, first off? Like, where's this guy, Tyler Hero? I, I loved seeing him do his thing. He's been pretty quiet this season. If you're the Heat with some of the young players you have, Duncan, Bam, Tyler, you know, Jimmy's a little bit older. Do you make a move that will make sure they'll supposedly they want Tyler Hero for sure. You know, maybe even somebody else. Are you willing to give up a young youthful asset like that for someone who's a little bit older? Let's see how old old Kyle Lowry is. I mean, dude, Kyle Lowry was on my Villanova. He's one of the reasons I'm a Villanova fan way back in the day since I've been a Nova fan. The guy's 34 years old, but he's been playing forever. Kind of like Chris Paul just keeps playing well as people think he's going to uh, downturn. He is in a shooting slump right now. But do you make a move for that that probably makes you better this year? But are you going to be that much better that you could beat the Nets to risk your future? I just don't think that's a good move. I don't think it'll happen if they have to involve Hero. I think the front office, who is badass for Miami, understand that. And Pat Riley won't budge. Uh, But it'll be interesting to see what happens. I would love to see Lowry move to another team. But... I just don't think Miami is the right, right fit for him if they need to have Hero involved. If I'm the GM, I ain't doing it. Uh, the Pelicans beat the Nuggets. Ingram and Zion, both with 30 points. And the Joker with 29, 10, and 10. Another triple-double for my fantasy squad. Um, Mavs blow out the Blazers that night. Luka with an easy 37. And Dame Dalla with 19. This must be one of the first times in, like, Jesus, forever that I've seen him under 20 points this season. Um, it's been a long time. But, hey, good win for the Mavs as they keep getting on track. On Monday, coming up before this pod this week, the Hornets beat the Spurs without LaMelo. Good win for them as the Spurs are still in the playoff picture. Gordo, Gordon Hayward, 27-7-6. And and DeMar DeRozan with 28. Good to see him put up points, Mr. DeMar DeRozan. Uh, The Grizzlies also beat the Celtics as they continually drop games. Ja with 29 points. And the Bucks handled the Pacers as Drew Holiday with a nice line. 28-5-14. and 14. Drew out there getting work in. Good to see him back in the lineup as he's going to be the guy that helps the Bucks get over their playoff droughts if they're going to do it. And then right before the podcast, Tuesday, the Suns take down the Heat as they drop another one. Aiton with a nice 17-16 stat line. And the Nets beat the Blazers without Kyrie as Harden put up 25-7-17. 
Whew, those Nets continue to win without Kyrie, without KD. This team's just going to be too good, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, my Heat are, or my Miami, or excuse me, Utah Jazz squad are going to play them uh, most likely without Kyrie. Last time they lost to him without their big three, Kyrie, Harden, or KD. So it'll be interesting to see how they can handle that. Um, in that game, though, Enos Cantor with a, a loud 19 points, 19 rebounds doing the dirty work. They love Enos Cantor, ex-Jazz draftee. Used to like him, just wasn't enough. We got Rudy Gobert, which I would say is a win. But hey, props to Enos out there doing the dirty work. This upcoming week, we got some games. We got some games. Jazz versus Nets. Nets beat them, like I said, without the big three. This is the Jazz's first home game in 30 days, ladies and gentlemen. That includes the All-Star break. They just went on a treacherous five-game road trip. And they don't have a long road trip. I think they have like a three-game road trip the rest of the season. They have one of the easier second half schedules. But I'm sure it's a welcome sight to come back to Salt Lake with fans. Uh, need to get that momentum back and revenge that shitty loss to the Nets earlier in the season. Celtics versus Bucks on ESPN. Celtics got to get a quality win on primetime TV. This is going to be a game. Um, we also got Nuggets versus Raptors. Raptors trying to get Lowry some momentum maybe before the trade deadline. Uh, put him just like, hey, you got the green light. And then Joker making an MVP push. That's a good, a good game. And then Clippers versus Spurs as the Clippers are the three and Spurs in the seven in the playoffs. Potential playoff matchup coming down in the future. Switching gears to Thursday, we got Blazers versus Heat on TNT. Uh, Clippers versus Spurs again. 76ers versus Lakers without the stars on TNT. That was obviously booked. I wish they could flex that out. Uh, but it'll be interesting to see how the Lakers do without their stars on TNT and the 76ers without Embiid. So we'll see how the top of the East and West compete without their stars. But obviously the Lakers missing two stars, so that's a little bit more brutal. On Friday, it's Grizzlies versus Jazz. Be a fun game. Watch Ja come to town. Uh, Suns versus Raptors. Again, Raptors making moves. This will be fresh off the trade deadline. Celtics versus Bucks again on ESPN. Another big-time television game as they're in a drought. Let's see how they can respond. Who's going to take over? Seems like Jalen Brown has been kind of the leader on the team. They have Marcus Smart back. Kemba's back. Got to get the shit figured out, ladies and gentlemen. Heat versus Hornets. Heat in a drought. Hornets playing decently well without LaMelo. We'll see how they can handle that matchup. Nuggets versus Pelicans. Pacers versus Mavs. Pacers got to make moves. Mavs still trying to make moves. It's a, a high leverage game there. And then Hawks versus Warriors. The Hawks continually move up the East. They got to beat Steph Curry, though, baby. On Saturday, it's Jazz versus Grizzlies again. Mavs versus Pelicans. Lots of youth in that game. Celtics versus Thunder. And 76ers versus Clippers on ESPN. Sunday is Hornets versus Suns. Going to be a, a fun one. Lots of offense in that game. Uh, Blazers versus Raptors. Hawks versus Nuggets. Probably won't be a lot of defense in that game. If you're putting prop bets on, put the money on Trey Young. Put your money on John Collins if he's still there. Put your money on Joker. Put your money on the, on the offensive players. That'll be on NBA TV. And then right before our pod next week, we got Monday Pelicans versus Celtics. Another nationally televised game for the Celtics to see if they keep choking. Heat versus Knicks. Hey, Knicks are still there. They're, they're making moves. They're still active. They're sitting at six. They're right behind the Heat. The Heat got to get this win streak going sooner than later. Uh, Mavs versus Thunder and Bucks versus Clippers on NBA TV. Probably one of the better games of the week coming up. And then Tuesday, 76ers versus Nuggets on NBA TV and Hawks versus Suns. 
that's another game I'm looking forward to, seeing how the Hawks can respond to some of these topper, higher-level-seeded teams and higher-quality opponents, as I'm not really a believer in them. Um, and I think they might make moves on the trade deadline. Uh, Bojan, Bojan Bogdanovich, or Bogdan? Bogdan Bogdanovich, Bojan's brother. Bojan plays for my Utah Jazz. Bogdan Bogdanovich on trade rumor. Uh, John Collins, so... They got DeAndre Hunter back. Maybe they keep the squad. I'm interested to see how they do. And that Suns game on next Tuesday will be a good milestone and pacing to see how that team can respond. Let's talk brackets, baby. Let's talk March Madness. I can tell you one thing. You tune into my IG Live or last week's episode, my bracket is broken. It's straight up busted. Sorry for everyone that followed me. If you put money on the line, I lost a good chunk of change. I'm making more moves for the Sweet 16, though. Gosh darn it. I'm making moves. But if you think you know everything about March Madness, you're wrong. It's March Madness. No one knows everything. Um, usually, I go favorites heavy, or I'll do a bunch of upsets. I was probably more favorites heavy this year, and it bit me in the butt as it was a little chaotic the first few rounds. I had the likes of Texas, my champion, going out. Uh Ohio State losing early. I think that busted a lot of people. Games like that that really screwed up my bracket. Um, you know, I went the wrong route this year. But hey, Nova Nation, baby, in the Sweet 16. I told you, Jay Wright, Winthrop, which you know, ESPN, CBS analyst, Winthrop A-ish, right? It's all about culture. It's all about chemistry. Without Colin Gillespie, this Villanova team still doing it. But they got the Baylor Bears coming in, busting the door down in the Sweet 16. We'll see how they could respond there. One of the biggest surprises for me, what the hell? The Pac-12, like, what the fuck? Where did this come from? I don't think anyone expected this many Pac-12 teams to be where they're at. I believe they have, let's see, one, two, Four teams in the Pac-12 in the Sweet 16. Colorado losing out to have five. That's four of five teams that made the tournament in the Sweet 16. I've been talking shit on them all year, how their conference is garbage. Nobody cares. They might only have two teams enter in. They had UCLA in a play-in game. Only reason Oregon State made it is because they won the Pac-12 tournament for an automatic bid. They, they swiped out someone else's thing. But they showed that they belong. Uh, it's been a super fun tournament to watch. I've enjoyed it even from the first four. Like every game has been down to the wire. Uh, not a lot of blowouts. Not very good for me to bet on. Uh, but how about that Oregon State Beavers, Wayne Tinkle, stand up. Shout out to Wayne Tinkle. Uh, what an awesome performance his team has done. You almost can't bet against them. The dog, the tell of two underdogs as they play Loyola Chicago in the Sweet 16. And when I watched their last game and they beat Oklahoma State, who I had going far and in one bracket winning the whole thing because Mr. Cade Cunningham, I just didn't think they had a shot. They were up the almost the whole game, almost blew the lead. But doing things that you got to do well, like maker free throws. I think they missed one free throw in that game. Play defense, quality defense. They had tons of turnovers. Not turn the ball over yourself. They're playing good team quality basketball. And then after the game, they had an interview with uh, Wayne Tinkle on CBS Sports. He's talking about... His dad was the dean at Loyola Chicago. He's from Chicago. What a blessing this game is. Um, you know, got a little bit of emotional. Like, what a fucking awesome dude, man. I mean, I said before, being a college journalist, just how open arms he was, cared about you as an individual. 
I just hope this man gets more opportunity. You know, maybe he wants to stay at Oregon State. No offense to the Beavers, but not a typical powerhouse program. I'd like to see him move up, get a higher level quality job because that man deserves it. And what a family he has behind him with the kids, Ellie, Jocelyn, and Trace supporting him, doing their thing, Trace in the G League, still playing ball. Um, just really cool to see. I'm super proud of him, you know, coming out of Missoula, and he deserves everything. Uh, hopefully they can keep this streak going. I'll be rooting for him. I've rooted for him from day one. As an analyst, though, you can't always pick the people you're rooting for. And uh, they proved me wrong, too. So way to go, Beavers. Way to go. I believe their women's team is in the Sweet 16. So lots of cool things going over there in Corvallis. Um, it's just really cool to see. You know, I, I can't say enough about how Wayne Tickle deserves this opportunity. Let's talk first four. Like I said, it started the tournament off right. Every game coming down to the last few seconds, and that's really all you can ask for. Uh, Texas Southern, Drake, Norfolk, Stake, and UCLA coming out of the top. And I knew pretty early on that it was going to be a rough tournament for me as I had Michigan State beating UCLA and then Michigan State winning the next game in the round of 64. Um, obviously, UCLA beat BYU anyways, uh, so that worked okay. But uh, it's just, jeez, I mean, it's just crazy how... March Madness plays out. I did watch, enjoy watching Joseph Yusefu, though, from Drake, who had been battling uh, pretty much all season long to win that conference and have been on the radar top 25 throughout the season. But this kid is just a hooper from a small town, uh, a small school. So it was awesome to see him do his thing. I really enjoyed watching them play. And then how about UCLA? They shot 50% from deep. Joshua Langford, what a tough out to finish the senior season at Michigan State. And you could definitely see um, the coach's just anger throughout that game. He had a dispute with one of the players going into the locker room at half. Uh, but Izzo does his thing. He holds a higher standard. I'm sure they'll be fine next year. Um, but yeah, let's talk a little bit about the brackets, the matchups, and some stats that stuck out to me. So we had Eastern or Michigan over Texas Southern. Don't have a ton to say. That's a 116. Uh, was a one of the bigger blowouts of the of the the bracket this far, and then we had LSU over St Bonaventure. Nothing too crazy on this game to say. Um, you know, it wasn't a blowout. The Bonnies kept it close. I know I was kind of back and forth on this matchup initially, um, but LSU coming hot after the SEC tournament. Um, you know, in my opinion, I felt like the SEC is a little overrated. But against a team like St Bonaventure, it's hard to pick against uh, LSU. Cam Thomas staying hot. He had 27 points in this matchup, uh, but good win for LSU here. Uh, that it put up Michigan versus LSU, which was an awesome matchup. Um, Michigan looking tough. I love Jawan Howard and what he's doing. Um, I wasn't sure how they would adapt and the way the Big Ten has played against the physicality of LSU, but obviously they're able to do it well. Uh, it was an eight-point game. Um, but it was definitely closer than the scorer had said. Cam Thomas, man, putting up 30 points. Um, he's just been on a tear. They also had Javante Smith put up 27 points. Michigan, just well-rounded team, had some bench play, had um, Wagner with 15 points, and then Hunter Dickinson with 12 and 11. Nice little double-double to cap off that game to push Michigan through. Um, they play up against Florida State. I'm taking Florida State in this one. Michigan's actually the favorite. 
Again, the physicality of, of Florida State and just the depth that they have, I think is going to get the job done for a little upset here. And I had picked Florida State in my bracket, sticking with it. Uh, Colorado over Georgetown. Colorado just coming out hot. The Pac-12 representing, you know, a 5-12 is a notorious pick in the bracket. I wanted to go Colorado or Georgetown because they had won the Big East, had momentum. But I watched Georgetown play. I'm a Big East guy with Villanova, and I just knew they didn't have the firepower. And Colorado was th- thought to be one of the best in the Pac-12 and a, a high-paced scoring team. And I like McKinley Wright. I wanted him to get the job done. I wanted him to continually move through. Um, and they were able to do so pretty handily against Georgetown. Um, I thought this would be a closer game, honestly. But again, the Pac-12 showing, flexing its muscles, doing well in this matchup. And pulling up the stats here, what did Wright end up with in this game? McKinley Wright, 12 points, 13 assists, decent game, putting the team on his back here uh, for Colorado. Moving on, we had Florida State versus UNC Greensboro. 10-point game, UNC playing tough. Florida State just too much for them. Uh, proving to be too much for Colorado. McKinley Wright didn't have a very good game in, in, uh, in the round of 32. Uh, that put, again, Florida State up against Michigan. Um, but Florida State looking good this far. BYU ended up playing UCLA, the winner of the play-in game. I had picked the winner of that. You can't pick Michigan State or UCLA and ESPN, or I would have picked Michigan State. So technically, I got that game wrong. Got a point there in my bracket. Um, UCLA just shooting lights out. We're able to beat Albaline Christian, who upset my tournament. I think the team I picked away the tournament loses the first round. You know, tends to be that way. Um, Texas just not able to score, man. 52 points. That's been... Their weakness is they can go into shooting slumps. Um, I figured with Mark Coleman putting up 30 late, um, a lot of the youthful talent they have down low, uh, Jones is getting a little bit more uh, efficient in his game that they could go a long ways. But Abilene Christian was able to upset them last second, you know, came down the last second that game, had my heart broke. Uh, But UCLA handled them well, continues to to shoot well. And then uh, interesting game, UConn versus Maryland. You know, Maryland plays gritty games, usually not a high offensive scoring team, but UConn couldn't get buckets. They couldn't get layups around the rim. We're missing dunks, and Book Knight didn't get hot until the second half, but it was too little too late. He was trying to force too much. It turned into turnovers. Uh, that definitely cost me uh, in my bracket, but uh, hey, Maryland, props to them. That was a fun game to watch. It was a scrappy game. Um, I, I haven't watched a lot of Maryland this season, uh, but again, it was a fun game to watch. Um Eric Ayala for Maryland with 23 points. What a stud he was. He really put the team on his back when they needed it in, that, in a close matchup for most of the game, um, even though the score was a nine-point game. Uh, the last second, so it was just turnovers and ugliness. <laughs> Alabama handling Iona. Did not watch that game. Figured it would be a blowout. It was. Um, Alabama staying hot. We're able to stay hot and continue good shooting. Um, really just the whole team shooting well. Uh, over a win of Maryland as Maryland just not a high scoring team. They couldn't keep up, couldn't handle that pace that the Alabama can. I've, I've considered Alabama overrated all year long. You know, Sh- uh, Shackleford had 21 points in that game. Just because they're in the sweet 16 doesn't mean that they're, you know, Oh Shane, you're wrong. They're overrated. They weren't overrated. It's all about matchups. I mean, no offense, but they played Iona and Maryland, right? Like I expect them to win those games. So uh, now they have UCLA. I expect them to win that game. Uh, two high-scoring teams. It's going to be a, a, a tough one to pick. I'm going to stick with Alabama. They have more depth. I've seen them play more. Um, so, yeah, they'll probably move on to the Elite Eight. Uh, that's what happens sometimes. You get the right matchups, you get to move on. 
I mean, look at Villanova. I love Villanova, but we played Winthrop. I expected us to handle that game. We did well, shot the lights out. North Texas beat Purdue. I thought we would have beat Purdue. Would have been a tougher game. Uh, but yeah, we handled North Texas as expected. The Mean Green props to them. Um, and they had a senior leader that played really well. Uh, but, you know, Jay Wright, man, the, the too much ball movement. Teams don't know how to defend that. Uh, we're gritty defensively, and we have guys like Jalen Samuels stepping up and shooting the lights out, and a potential early-round draft pick with uh, Jer- Jerome, Jeremiah Robinson Earl. So, yeah, I mean, it's all about matchups. But now they have Baylor. Okay, we'll just skip over there. I'm picking Baylor in that matchup. Um, boom, boom, boom. We also had Baylor versus Hartford. Expected that to be a blowout. It was Baylor handling things there. I believe um, Davian Mitchell led the scoring in that game. Then they played a decently tough game against Wisconsin. I've talked about Wisconsin just not having enough. Uh, Trice and team couldn't do enough in that game. They were able to get through North Carolina, which was a upset in my bracket. Um, they had a couple players really take over in that game. Let me pull that up real quick. This was a game that I was, you know, a first-round matchup that I was really excited about because of the only reason I had really bought in North Carolina was the way they had played in their tournament. Uh, but yeah, Davidson, 29 points, 5 for 7 from deep, and then Trice with 21 points. They weren't able to keep that momentum going, though, as they got shut down by the Baylor Bears. Um, Texas Tech beating Utah State, that was a pretty close game. You know, I figured McClung and squad would have enough to get through there, but they definitely haven't looked very hot of late, so I got that right. And then uh, Arkansas beating Colgate. Colgate playing pretty close throughout. I know this was a trendy upset pick. Um, Arkansas was able to handle that, though, and we're able to uh, make it past Texas Tech. I did pick Texas Tech over Arkansas in my bracket. Um, was a close game, but Texas Tech kind of come through. Let's look at some stats on that game. Uh, that was a game that I was really looking forward to. Um, I knew that Texas Tech was a tough pick here. But, you know, I've said these SEC teams are pretty overrated. said that multiple times. And I hadn't seen a lot of Arkansas. I know they got hot late. Um, but Shannon Jr. for Texas Tech going for 20. And Moses Moody only scoring 15 for Arkansas. He hasn't really taken up. But Justin Smith has been putting the team on his back. I, I know he was injured late in the season when they had dropped some games. But he had 20 points, 6 rebounds. So look for him to keep doing well. If Moses Moody can turn it on, maybe Arkansas can make their way through. Uh, they get a, uh interesting matchup of Oral Roberts, one of the biggest stories of the first few rounds. Um, before we get to them, well, they beat Ohio State. They played some tough teams throughout their schedule early on, but they had lost. So, you know, I looked at the schedule when I did my IG live with you guys and didn't think that they could beat Ohio State. I'm not a huge Ohio State guy. Didn't think they were as good as people thought, but I thought they'd beat Oral Roberts was wrong. Um, And then they were able to beat Florida. I had picked Virginia Tech to win that game. That first round matchup of Florida and Virginia Tech was actually uh, a very good game. And I knew that it would be a 50-50 toss up. Um... But Florida was able to handle business. Uh, Virginia Tech just couldn't get any buckets when they needed it, man. The second half, I think the the, the run that Florida went on was pretty nasty. Um, but Naheem Alini for Virginia Tech with 28 points really put the team on his back. And then Colin Castleton with 19 and 14 for Florida to get the job done there. Um, but yeah, Florida was able to play Oral Roberts. Another close game for Oral Roberts. 
Oral Roberts got the dub though, right? They they keep on rolling, they keep on moving, and they're one of the biggest Cinderella stories this year. Uh, one of the notorious jokes for everybody was, you know, where is Oral Roberts? It was like uh, the other underdog a couple of years ago. What the hell was their name? Florida Gulf Coast. Uh, Dunk City, they called themselves really athletic guards that were just doing crazy shit through the tournament. And that's really Oral Roberts this year. You know, it's like, who, who the hell is Oral Roberts? What's going on? Uh, but they keep winning. Um, they have a couple players that have really uh, stood out. Uh, one of them being... Sorry here. Come on. Oh. oh, here we go. One of the Oral Rops being Kevin O'Banner. Uh, he's a junior from Houston. He put up 28 points against Florida. And then they have Max Abmas, who's doing really well. 26 points. Um, two guys really just spearheading the team. Exciting to watch the Cinderella stories. Uh, but yeah, they're going to have a tough matchup against Arkansas. Uh, but hey, you know, I think Arkansas is pretty overrated in my own right. So they, they could potentially move on to the Elite Eight. Am I going to bet that? Probably not. Um, but hey, that's going to be a fun matchup to watch out for. In the Midwest region, Illinois beating Drexel pretty handily. I think we all expected that. I'm a big Illinois guy. I like Coburn and uh, Desanyu, the, the guard that's going to be drafted pretty high. Um, but they ran into a roller coaster freight train I was going to pick Georgia Tech. I think on my Instagram Live, I did pick Georgia Tech, but one of their better players was out due to COVID. So I had flipped my decision back to Loyola Chicago as I thought this was going to be one of the better first-round matchups. Loyola Chicago did beat them by 11 points. Um, did not expect them to handle Illinois the way they did. Coburn had a good game, but nobody else could get anything going. Illinois only scoring 58 points there. Uh, Loyola Chicago, man, what an underdog story. Uh, Sister Jean... Right, she was able to make it somehow. They allowed her with COVID to come in and in, into the arena and watch, but she's like a holy angel gospel lady that's just pushing this team forward. And Loyola Chicago really being led by Cameron Krutwig reminds me a little bit of like the looks of uh, Nikola Jokic. Uh, but twenty-eight or nineteen points, twelve rebounds. He's been uh, leading the team throughout the tournament. But now they get matched up against the other Cinderella story. Oregon State beating Tennessee pretty handily. Tennessee's had lack of scoring droughts throughout the season, had a scoring drought here. And then they were able to beat Oklahoma State, like I said. Cade Cunningham putting the team on his back just wasn't quite enough uh, as Oregon State put up a nice 80 points. Um, really efficient making those free throws. So now we got Oregon State versus Loyola Chicago. I'd actually picked Loyola Chicago. I haven't picked Oregon State yet. I know I'm a terrible person. Um, but I think this is going to be an awesome game. Can't wait to tune in. I think I had picked the spread here as they have Loyola Chicago favored by like six, and I don't think they'll win by that many. Uh, but it's sweet to see one of these teams get to go to the Elite Eight. You got Sister Jean or Wayne Tinkle in the Elite Eight. That's what basketball is all about. Uh, San Diego State really just not doing much against that zone, man. Syracuse, they love being double-digit team in the bracket and managing it. Buddy uh, Bayheim just really shooting the lights out. I knew they had Buddy, but I didn't think with the momentum San Diego State had the physicality that they could do it. But they outmatched them everywhere on the court and did that. So that was a bracket buster for me. Uh, they went on to continue to beat West Virginia, who beat Moorhead State as expected in the first round. I didn't think they could beat West Virginia with the amount of shooters that they have. But again, Buddy Bayheim doing Buddy Bayheim things, Buddy Bayheim things, putting the team on his back, 
uh, being able to to keep West Virginia continually guessing with that zone. Uh, Buddy Bam had 25 points in this game. Uh, McNeil for West Virginia had 23. Culver only was seven. He was two for nine. And McBride with 11 on 10 shots. So the zone really just affecting them. Um, you know, the Big 12 has definitely been disappointing to me with how well they had played this season in the tournament. But Syracuse moves on, lives to see another day. Uh, Clemson dropping the game to Rutgers in the first round. I had picked Clemson. That was a yucky game, but props to Rutgers. Cool to see them win. Uh, and Houston beat Cleveland State as expected. Quentin Grimes putting the team on his back, the Kansas transfer, as they beat Rutgers in the second round and will play Syracuse. I have Syracuse winning this game. I'm not a big believer in Houston. They've had a pretty nice matchup with Rutgers and Cleveland State this far. So I'm taking Syracuse in this one. Um, I believe Syracuse is still the underdog. Uh, but hey, we got some good matchups. We got Gonzaga and Creighton. I think Gonzaga is going to blow them out in the Sweet 16. USC, Oregon. USC beat Oregon in this regular season game. Their other one got canceled because uh, of COVID. Uh, so this is going to be an interesting matchup. You got the Mobley Bo brothers on fire. You got Oregon with a bunch of uh, tall guards just being uh, quick and shooting pretty efficient. Uh, that's a 50-50 toss-up. I've gone back and forth, but I'm going to take USC in that game. Uh, Florida State over Michigan. I got Alabama over UCLA. Baylor over Villanova. Arkansas over Oral Roberts. Loyola Chicago over Oregon State. And Syracuse over Houston. That would put one double-digit team into the Elite Eight. Two number one seeds in the Elite Eight. But hey... Potentially, you shouldn't listen to the shit I have to say because I had my bracket busted. But I watch a lot of basketball, probably more than most. I am pretty educated on what's going on. It's March, though. Nobody knows. But I'm rooting for Oregon State. Let's go, Beavs. Let's go, Wayne Tinkle. Sorry, Sister Jean. Sorry, Loyola Chicago. I wish it, was, wish it wasn't that matchup. And hey, uh, Oral Roberts, take down that SEC team. Uh, that would be a lot of fun to see. But it's March, baby, and I can't wait for the games this weekend. We got games, we got fights, uh, Supercross still going, uh, lots of things happening in the sports world this weekend. Switching gears to spring training in the Diamond, I'll be doing my season prediction next week as opening day is on April 1st. Uh, also show off my fantasy team, I have my first fantasy draft tonight. Uh, excited to do that. I do fantasy basketball, football, baseball. If you business and buckets fans ever want to play on one of those fantasy sports, let me know. I usually play a couple leagues. Um, so yeah, would love to have uh, my fans and, and uh, subscribers and viewers to ch to tune in. Uh, I'll whoop your ass and show you guys what I can do in the fantasy field. Um, really, one of the headlines I wanted to talk about quickly. You know, we'll, we'll cover a lot more baseball now that the season's about to start. But is a lot of these big-time prospects that are getting rushed because of certain situations with their team, uh, such as Casey Mize and Joe Adele, who have been struggling. These are very big prospects the past few years. You know, it's like, hey, do we panic on these guys? And I say, no, they got forced into positions too early. They'll be okay. It's all about how you manage these guys. But I hate seeing these guys get forced uh, from the minors so early. It can affect their development. Uh, but these are two names that I've seen that I expect to do really well that have struggled. Uh, I'm not sure about Mize if he's starting in AAA, but I know the Angels are having a Dell start there. They had signed Dexter Fowler, who hasn't looked amazing in spring training um, for the initial starter. We have a couple other decent uh, outfielders for depth. Uh, but, you know, Joe Adele's the future there. It's supposed to be him and Trout in the outfield. So I'm excited to see how he produces in AAA. 
If I could go to Rainier's games and he plays, I'll definitely probably go watch. Uh, but don't panic if you're a team with these young prospects that are doing this because uh, they're just trying to force them. It's a lot. You know, these kids are so young. Talking Supercross, we had some races in Arlington. Race two, race three in Arlington, Tuesday, Saturday. Boom, boom, action. And really the story here, you know, I, I won't build up the anticipation is fucking Cooper Webb and KTM, man. That guy is just on a terror. The way these courses are set up this year with COVID, it's been short tracks that you have to the start. And there's not a lot of guys coming back from the pack and getting in the lead. If you're in the lead, you're usually staying in the lead. Um, hole shots are important as ever. In the 250 last Saturday, Hunter Lawrence with his first win. Actually, this was Tuesday right after the podcast. Hunter Lawrence with his first win. Awesome to see in the 250. Uh, Jalex Wool with a second place finish. Kyle Peters third. And Garrett Marchbakes fourth. And Justin Cooper names that have been in the podium a lot and leading in points fifth. Uh, in the 450, like I said, Cooper Webb just not making mistakes, getting out early. He's battled out Tomac and Roxon multiple times, just looking really smooth on that. Um, the only place I could see him improve is in the whoop section. He, he doesn't ride high. He jumps them and is kind of uh, loosey-goosey there. Uh, but Webb with the first place finish on Tuesday. Tomac second, Roxon third. Barsha fourth, still staying around the podium positions. Chase Sexton fifth. Aaron Plessinger, the rookie, sixth. Two-year-ago winner, Justin Anderson, seventh. Another rookie, Ferrandis, eighth. And Malcolm Stewart, not normally where he is for Team Yamaha in a 13th place finish. Moving to race three this Saturday, 250s back at it. Justin Cooper claiming his throne with the first place f finish. Cameron McAdoo second and Hunter Lawrence with a fifth place finish. That puts the point standings. Cooper at first with 108. McAdoo right behind in second with 106. And then Lawrence right there in trailing distance, third place, 102. Jet and Hunter doing awesome things. Team Honda revving up. Uh, that's going to be fun to finish and see how they, you know, I'm not sure when they meet the other 250 riders or what happens there, uh, but lots of things to shake out as these riders mix in with the others. In the 450, Webb again cementing himself with that red plate. Stole the race from my guy, Ken Roxon, man. Roxon had the lead damn near the whole time. He sized him up, made his move, and Roxon couldn't come close towards the end. Um, the way this one shook out, we had Webb first, Roxon second, Tomac third. Those guys staying on the podium. Barsha fourth again, Anderson fifth again. Um, Malcolm Stewart a little bit better where he usually is with the sixth place, sixth place finish. Dylan Friend is seventh, and Aaron Plessinger with a ninth place finish. That puts the points. Webb taking a little bit of a lead, 15 points up on Roxon with 275. That puts Roxon at second with 260. And then in third, we got Eli Tomac with 234. And Barsha somewhat lingering in fourth at 214. There's only five races left, ladies and gentlemen. We got three in Atlanta Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, and two Saturdays in Salt Lake City. I wanted to go catch a Salt Lake City race jazz game, uh, but I'm going to be going to Phoenix. Got Hawaii in May, so can't complain. Uh, but it would be awesome to see as I think this finish might get a little interesting. But Ken's got to make moves. You got to beat Cooper Webb. You got to get those first place finishes if you want to have a shot. And hey, Roxon or uh, Tomac will be on the podium. He could still make moves as he still steals some races. And before we drop this week's episode, episode 15, I want to bring up the supernatural snowboarding competition that Travis Rice and crew has set up. Uh, basically, you know, I'm a backcountry snowboarder here and there. I grew up in Wyoming. I didn't, you know, grow up in train parks and these massive, you know, 
kickers and things with shitty snow conditions. I don't like hitting them if they have shitty snow conditions. I'll send it if there is snow. Um, you see these competitions in like New Zealand and stuff. There's like barely any snow just to cover. Um, but anyways, this is like who is the best all around backcountry rider? I think it's an awesome concept. And goes to show for anybody listening, like if you have an idea of a sport, well, it's only done this way. It's only half pipe rails, this and that. Hey, you can make it happen. Look at what Travis Rice has done, known as one of the best snowboarders in the world. Um, he had his first leg in Jackson Hole, Wyoming in a snowstorm. It was dumped. Crazy pal back there. Really cool performance. Um, um, the two winners there get a matchup against the winners here in Baldface and go to Alaska for the overall best competition or the overall best riders. Um, they did Jackson this this week. It was Baldface Lodge. They showed the production on Red Bull TV. Awesome production. They got these like professional drone guys. Um, the Baldface competition had to be all local Canadian riders because of the Cana- Canadian border issues. Uh, so it was all local Canadian riders, but it was really cool production. They let the they showed the highlights of it. They let the riders pick their music. It's just really cool. If you haven't seen a snowboarding movie by Travis Rice, check it out. He's got ones like Dark Matter uh art of flight my favorite lots of sweet production that goes into this these guys are badass team red bull kicking ass here uh they're sponsored by yeti doing a lot of cool things for sustainability with them as well uh but they're going to tortorello lodge in alaska travis was talking about what's he announced the winner is a bald face how legit the snow is and like it's going to be a dream competition and the freaking verticalness and just the rides and the spines and everything that's set up here looks awesome it would be a dream ride for me for sure um, but Hey, awesome performances. Check it out on Red Bull TV. It's, it's on there. I'm excited to see what happens in Alaska. We have some really big names here, uh, uh, that are going to be competing and it's just really cool to see that this is formed into something. I'm super into it. And the lines that these guys have are just dreamy and, uh, props to Travis Rice and crew. Bravo, bravo. Quick sports take of the week. Gotta give a shout out. I always talk shit about ESPN. I'm not ESPN. Do things differently. Not all the drama and politics, but Jay uh, Bylas and ESPN and put together for ESPN Plus subscribers this insight, stats, predictions. You know, they have a full team behind them. The rankings of what upsets filled out their brackets. And I think they did a really good job. You look at the first couple rounds and, and what they've, uh, you know, assumptively put out there has been pretty on point. So you got to give props where props is due. Uh, best sports take of the week. Just, just Jay and squad doing their thing. They're professional experts for a reason, ladies and gentlemen. And then my favorite non-story story is just Dame Dalla, man. At, what a perfect role model this guy is coming out of Oakland. Um, just being a franchise guy. He hasn't moved to teams. He's developed Portland, tried to do whatever he can for Rip City. And on the post-game interview on TNT, because this was the second of the doubleheader last Tuesday, right after I recorded my pod, he was just talking about Shaq asked him, what do you got to do to be a shooter? He talked about the time that you got to put in the people you got to surround yourself with. And it was just an awesome fucking interview. And it's just like, if you're a, like, that's the franchise player that everyone seeks. I'm so proud of him. I've known of him since his college days in Weber state. Cause I was attending the university of Montana. It was big rivalries. We were the reason university of Montana. When I say that, that he never got to play in March madness, that would have been awesome to see. I'm sure as Montana never won a first round game out of that. But what a fucking player. I never expected him to bloom up like this. But, hey, I'm a, I'm a major fan. Dame Doll is doing his thing. So I had to talk about that. That's my non-story story of the week. And don't forget, everybody, ladies and gentlemen, 
we are brought to you by my one and only sponsor, Fueled Supplements. Shout out Josh Morin and crew. Keeping my lights on here. Helping a brother out. i uh, got lots of cool business and sports interviews coming up to you guys in the future. Looking to get a lot more entrepreneurs and athletes on here. I already have some recorded. The one that I'll be putting up with Stan Daniels is my last one with my hair and beard before I had shaved it off uh, back in, I, don't know, I think that was December. Uh, but awesome podcast. Uh, thanks for tuning in. And I got a lot more coming at you next week. Hopefully my predictions of the sweet 16 pay off. I get a little bit of my money back from last week. I'm out.